Hi, everyone. Chuck Adica here for a Healthier Michigan podcast. We're bringing you a few bonus episodes from conversations at the 2022 Mackinac Policy Conference. And this year, the conference is focusing on the business community's changing civic role in polarizing times. Throughout the conference, Michigan's business community will focus discussions and learnings around areas they can lead in advancing diversity as a strength, utilizing civility and facts in public discourse, building a culture of empathy, and advocating for the fundamental tenets of American democracy. We thought it'd be a great opportunity to talk to attendees about what they're doing to tackle these critical issues and how it's impacting Michiganders. We hope you enjoy these special episodes. On today's show, we'll be talking with CEO of the Michigan Health and Hospital Association, Brian Peters, President of Healthcare Operations and COO of Henry Ford Health Systems, Bob Riney, Senior Vice President of Public Affairs and Communications for the Michigan Health and Hospital Association, Ruth Ann Sutter, and CEO of the Michigan State Medical Society, Julie Novak. First up is CEO of the Michigan Health and Hospital Association, Brian Peters. Good to see you. Great to see you, Chuck. Yeah, Thank you. It does feel more normal this year, right? We're seeing more handshakes and hugs and things just seem better. No question about yeah. it. And that's a good feeling. It really is. And then we've got lilacs in bloom. I mean, I don't know how you go wrong on Mackinac Island with crisp air this morning anyway. It's a perfect week to be here. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. Well, last year we were talking about uh, right here at the conference, how Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan announced it was expanding its uh, longstanding funding relationship with the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. And specifically, we talked about that $5 million contribution to the Keystone Center. So I know a lot has happened even in this year. There's no doubt that we, in fact, are very grateful for that continued support from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. And the MHA Keystone Center has established not only a national, but indeed an international reputation for a safety and quality improvement in the hospital domain. Mm. And in fact, this new funding from Blue Cross uh, has helped us to address some very specific issues related to uh, healthcare worker safety, uh, related to uh, addressing the ongoing opioid epidemic uh, here in the state of Michigan, which unfortunately has uh, not gotten any better uh, mm. during the, the uh, pandemic. And then uh, a focus on maternal health. And we understand there are some real inequities uh, right here in the state in terms of the outcomes uh, in the delivery process for white women and uh, women of color. And we want to do everything we possibly can to address that issue. And, and this funding will help. So talk specifically about patient safety. What have you seen in terms of outcomes in the past year that you can share with us? Well, there's no question that uh, some of this uh, work that Blue Cross uh, is funding, we have been doing for quite some time based on uh, Blue Cross's uh, financial support going back indeed over the last 15 years. Okay. And so we track that data year to year. Yeah. We know that things like medication errors, things like wrong site surgeries, things like patient slips, trips, and falls, uh, which are a very serious concern, particularly with elderly patients. All of those things we're able to uh, track uh, with our data, and we know that we have made a significant improvement. And so when you're looking at morbidity rates or mortality rates, we can identify the, the positive mm. difference that's been made. And it's one of the reasons why Michigan 
has become a national leader in this field. And, you know, I guess as someone who's on the other side, as a potential patient maybe, right? I don't know what's coming tomorrow. None of us do. This idea of patient safety doesn't always bubble up to the top of my mind. I make assumptions that everything is safe, but to know that there's actually a process for improving safety makes me feel more comfortable. Absolutely. In fact, uh, it should go without saying that when you come to a Michigan hospital, you want to have a good outcome and not have to worry yeah. about those things that, that would cause further harm. And we really spend an awful lot of our time and energy in developing processes that minimize the risk of a medication error, that minimize the risk of a hospital-associated infection, because those infections, when you're dealing with patients who are immune compromised, who are sure. uh, not uh, at their very best uh, in when they come to a hospital, they're, they're dealing with all sorts of different challenges. And so those instances of infection can be incredibly concerning. We do everything we can to minimize the risk of those infections. And in fact, we can track over time that we have saved lives because the hospital-associated infection rate today is lower than it was pre-intervention. And w part of the conference is talking about equity, right? And you, you mentioned health equity. You want to unpack that a little bit for us? How do you see the program working and what else is happening in, in the field of health equity? Well, we are very committed uh, to this work. In fact, uh, the MHA Board of Trustees actually uh, led the charge with a pledge to address racism and implicit bias that may exist in Michigan healthcare. The Blue Cross funding support is going to help with that work because now the next step in that process is to engage in what's called a health equity organizational assessment. And virtually every hospital in Michigan now has completed that health equity organizational assessment. And what that means is ensuring that we identify all of the instances of health inequity, making sure all of our uh, frontline caregivers and other hospital employees have engaged in implicit bias training. Mm and that we're doing everything we can to collaborate with community partners who can help make this work more effective at the end of the day so that we understand what the unique challenges are uh, within certain uh, populations and uh, do a better job of creating good health outcomes. And in this world that's changed in just the past couple of years, telehealth has become a big deal too. So the notion that, you know, if I can go on my phone or iPad and, and visit a doctor, all the better maybe, but if you don't have a device, if you don't have access to the internet, I mean, that by itself is a bias, right? I mean, that's built-in change for somebody that should be able to get to a doctor. No question about that. And in fact, the uh, pandemic has turbocharged this move towards telehealth. But as you said, we have urban and many rural areas that lack access yeah. to effective broadband. And that's a place where we think the healthcare community and the business community in Michigan should be coming together and demanding public policy and funding support to make sure that there is access for all of our populations to that high-speed broadband internet because the technology exists now to really create access to care, particularly in the behavioral health realm. We, we see a yeah. tremendous growth in behavioral health telehealth visits 
uh, here in Michigan, which is a good thing. It's giving access to those who didn't have it before, but we can do even better if we had better broadband. Well, it's great to see this partnership with MHA, and I'm glad that you're seeing the actual boots-on-the-ground results, you know, that can encourage all of us. There's no question. We really are, are proud of the work we've been able to do and proud of this partnership with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Well, Brian Peters, Chief Executive Officer, Michigan Health and Hospital Association, great to see you again this year. You as well. Be Thank well. you. Yeah. Next up is President of Healthcare Operations and COO of Henry Ford Health Systems, Bob Riney. Bob Riney, who's President of Healthcare Operations and Chief Operating Officer for Henry Ford Health Systems, is joining us. And we're in this dining area right here, Bob, so sometimes we get a lot of background noise and sometimes it's a lull, but right now we've got it. We can talk over <laughs> all of them. Yeah, good to see you. <laughs> good to see you, Chuck. Yeah, thanks so much. So talk about this uh, period we've come through and what may have changed during the pandemic. I guess looking broad on the landscape in so many different ways, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in this past couple of years relative to healthcare? You know, it's been, uh, I've been in healthcare almost 40 years, and these last two years have been remarkable on so many fronts. Yeah. And I will just start off by saying not what's changed, but what was reaffirmed, and that's that we are so blessed with healthcare workers that just give it their all mm. and even give it their all when the road isn't clear. And when COVID first hit, the pathway was not clear. And so the innovation that healthcare workers put in place to try and deal with such an untenable situation is something that not only we should be proud of, but we should hold dear. And so that's first. Uh, we were talking a few minutes ago, you know, you and I go back to a time we were honoring healthcare workers. And I don't know if, to be honest, as much as I enjoyed that for several years, I don't know that the word heroic would have leapt off my lips. Although I know the stories we told were indeed heroic about hours given. That word hero is bantied around sometimes in a flimsy way. Frontline healthcare worker heroes is something we can really, really be proud of. Yeah, I don't think there's a word that better describes an individual that has to go into a situation that is filled with unknowns. Yeah. Go back home to their family, not knowing at the time early on whether they were bringing the COVID infection back home and then going back day after day and doing it again and not knowing from shift to shift whether they were gonna have enough supplies, but making sure that the patients came first. And obviously things have gotten so much better. We've yeah. learned so much about how to manage the um, disease, but those early like 10 months, you know, they were the equivalent of a military on the front line. Sure. There's no question about that. And unfortunately, like military on the front line, some of them have PTSD. I mean, some of them have a lot of trauma and it's led to this, you know, burnout and also just the loss of people that have said, I can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And so that's put the healthcare industry in a real imbalance from a supply and demand of talent. So, you know, the one thing that uh, you really realize is embrace your talent and really try and meet them where they need to be met when they're really doing everything and beyond. What other changes did you see? Because in this process, it was like we, we had to get used to, you know, technology and Zoom calls. But I know telehealth was something that bubbled up very quickly, like on steroids, right? What else have you seen in that rid? Well, you know, telehealth um, not only bubbled up, but we learned how to use it as a permanent part of the healthcare system mm. going forward. And so there's oftentimes a real need for a personal face-to-face -face encounter 
with a physician. Nothing will ever replace that. But sometimes those follow-up visits, yeah. when you just need to right. see how the person's doing, those can be done virtually in a way that's great for patients and for physicians. And I will tell you where it's really helped is behavioral health. Behavioral health, which has been on-site face-to-face for a long time, the cancellation or no-show rate was very, very high because it takes a lot of courage to go into a behavioral health um, environment. With virtual care now being responsible for 70-plus percent of all behavioral health visits, cancellations and no-shows have dropped dramatically, which means people are getting the connection they need when otherwise they weren't. And it takes that stigma, you know, Mm -hmm. away. And Mm -hmm. so that's an example where it's a permanent change. And with all the mental health challenges in the country, the more access we can provide, the better we're all going to be. So that's kind of a pivot point to not looking all at the things that weren't going well, but opportunities that pose themselves. So there's a good example, right, of something that was a, a gem that kind of came to the surface. What other opportunities have you seen in this past couple of years? You know, one of the things the pandemic forced us to look at is, are there situations where people get hospitalized that if they had the right setting at home, that we could actually bring the care to home Mm. and not have to hospitalize them. So there's a movement called Hospital at Home, and you have to almost think of home healthcare on steroids. This is a whole care team coming in and helping the individual remain at home, even though they are fairly sick and need constant monitoring. So things that would normally require a two to three day hospital stay, in some cases can be done in the home. That's important for a few reasons. One is, It allows us to use hospitals for those that are really, really complicated care and use our staff. Number two, people in general are more stress-free and relaxed in a home environment with their loved ones around them. And it actually has an impact on healing. So, you know, there's a lot of power in that and we're learning a lot. Like a lot of things, one size doesn't fit all. There are some patients that the thought of people coming into their home is actually anxiety producing. And so in that case, we say, okay, well, you know, we will hospitalize um, you because you do need, uh, you know, comprehensive sure. care. And uh, for others, unfortunately, they don't have a home setting that's actually appropriate or safe. So we're trying to learn a lot about how we help keep people healthy and produce healthy lives. And yet if I could stay home and have that health care and I had my dogs with me and, you know, the care of family, I would think that idea of, of impact, high impact, would be there for many people. You know, one of the darkest moments of the pandemic, and it was absolutely necessary, but when hospitals had to ban visitors and loved ones Mm. to come in because of the incredible pandemic, the toll that took on both patients and caregivers really validated that when you are vulnerable, you need to be around loved ones. And sometimes those loved ones are pets. Sometimes they're other individuals. And so to your point, that was unbelievably stressful on everyone involved. And so this movement, I think, has a lot of value. What is value-based hospital care? And I know you're getting involved in that. There's a shift to it going on, right? Yeah, value-based care, the best way to really understand that is let's get really clear on using evidence and using high reliability for everything we do and sort of minimize the guesswork or the options, you know, related to care. And so it really takes any financial, it neutralizes finances because you're really taking care of an individual without any impact of 
the cost of care because you're getting a fixed payment and that fixed payment is determined to keep people healthy. Mm -hmm. And so value-based care makes you think differently and it makes you spend dollars differently. So for example, if a person keeps coming to the ER because they keep having an accident at home, we can keep treating them in an ER multiple times for their falls, or we could actually spend some dollars and fix the problem in their house yeah, yeah. that is creating the fall and keeping them healthy and then reducing healthcare costs. That's really what value-based care is about. See, that's interesting because when I think of that, I never assign the value. My late dad would have trouble with uh, not drinking water. I'd say, Dad, did you drink water? No. What did you have for lunch? I had a, one of the fast food burgers filled with sodium, and then he'd wind up in the ER because of blood pressure issues. But it happened so many times that all he had to do was drink a little water. And in, in the case of our family, there were the reminders needed, which I know now can shift to high-tech reminders, phone calls. So that was a very easy fix that we were able to instill. And I guess that would come under that umbrella of a value-based change. Right? It, it absolutely would. And dehydration is a major source of people hmm. coming into ERs, especially yeah. with older people. And, you know, technology will never replace the human touch, but yeah. there's now devices where people fill yeah. them up with the amount of water in a day and an alarm goes off Correct. Yeah. if you're not utilizing it. And that's really important for seniors. You know, if value-based care keeps people that don't need to be in nursing homes out of nursing homes and don't need to be in hospitals out of hospitals, we've really improved their quality of life. Well, that's great to hear. Bob Riney, who's president of Healthcare Operations and Chief Operating Officer, Henry Ford Health Systems. Great to see you. It's great to see you, Chuck. I'm glad, you know, that's my team, by the way, Henry Ford. So I'm just saying, I'm just glad I'm part of the same team because I always feel good about it. Well, you know, we've got a, a marketing campaign out now, so I can officially say you too are Henry. <laughs> good to see you, Bob. Good to see you. And now, Senior Vice President of Public Affairs and Communications for the Michigan Health and Hospital Association, Ruth Ann Sutterth. Great to see you. It's great to see you. It's great to be yeah. back. Thanks for having me on again. We just had uh, CEO Brian Peters with us talking about MHA and hospitals and connections and all the things that are going on, That some of the things we know in this time and some of them that we don't. You know, the challenges, et cetera. So talk about initiatives the MHA is focusing on that have emerged during and now, as we hope, we're all coming out of this pandemic. Well, how much time do you have, Chuck? Yeah, I mean, yeah. The list is it's long. It's open-ended. <laughs> I'll just give notice. We're going till Friday. Absolutely. Uh, I'm sure Brian touched on quite a few key issues. And, you know, a couple of things have really emerged during the pandemic, which isn't over, but we're, we're learning to work through it that I think are really here to stay and are going to change the way patients receive care and that we deliver care. One big focus area for us is obviously the healthcare workforce. They're burned out, they're exhausted, yeah. and we don't have as many of them as we need to take care of patients effectively. So we're very focused on working with our hospitals and health systems on recruiting new workers into our healthcare workforce and finding new ways to market those job opportunities, which stay here in our country, which are good paying jobs. Healthcare is one of the largest employers in Michigan, the largest private sector employer in Michigan, actually. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of direct jobs. And so we're really focused on finding ways to bring folks back into the workforce that are you know, new workers, but also finding ways to take care of our workers that are exhausted after the last couple of years, making sure that their workplace is safe, 
and they don't have to worry about getting harmed when they're at work, which is a big issue because the public and the patients and their families are stressed as well. So we're focused on their safety, on their psychological safety and making sure that we design work in a way that they can take breaks and get the time they need with their families and that they're safe when they're at work. So uh, workforce is a big focus for us. And another example is virtual care. Before the pandemic, folks would occasionally seek a telemedicine visit. You know, the Blues have a platform as well where telemedicine is offered, and a lot of our health systems did as well. But that's become a real big focus area. Folks can now get a lot of different kinds of care from their iPad or from their phone, either on on a phone call or on a web visit, which just wasn't the case before. And now it's getting paid for as well. So we are really focused on growing those virtual care platforms, which we think can provide great continuity of care for our patients. You've talked about a couple things. I guess I I never really gave much thought to the idea of safety in the workplace. Like we've heard the headline stories with flight attendants, right? Never thought about it so much with healthcare workers. Absolutely. Violence against healthcare workers was a big issue before COVID, but it's really been exacerbated Mm. by the stress, again, of the people coming into our hospitals. And so, you know, in the legislature, we've focused on efforts to increase penalties for people who are violent against healthcare workers. Our nurses are, are often the victims and, and other workers, not just nurses, the victims of verbal assault, physical assault. Mm. And it's quite stressful. They shouldn't have to worry about those things when they're going into their workplace, when they're there to take care of people. Yeah. Uh, and it's supposed to be a nurturing place. So we're very focused on that. We're part of a, a initiative with the American Hospital Association, Healthcare Against Violence. And so this is a focus area of all our hospitals, not just in Michigan, but across the country. In trying to appeal to the sensibilities of a young person who you want to bring into the fold, right, in terms of healthcare, are you finding that the notion of, and so many stories were out there about the healthcare heroes, many times when that happens, I've even heard with the recent new Top Gun movie, this is a time when our U.S. military will find people stepping through a door saying, hey, I'd like to sign up because, man, I just think that was the coolest. Uh, we heard a lot of stories, though, of the downside of healthcare workers and the stress and the mental health. But do you find that there's also an inspiring story that young people can say, you know, I'd like to join that team because I could really make a difference? Absolutely. We ended up talking to a lot of healthcare workers late last year to understand what was making them leave the workforce mm. and what could we do to bring them back in or keep them. And the thing that really stood out as a bright spot was that they were drawn to the mission of the work. Interesting. And being able to make it difference. And so despite all of these stressors, they really felt that this was meaningful work and that after some time away and after a break that they could come back to it. So we're really focused on telling that story Mm -hmm. about the impact you can have working in healthcare, whether you're a a nurse assistant or a physician or a nurse or a a radiology tech. I mean, there's so many opportunities where you have a, where you make a real difference. Environmental services. I mean, the list is long. So it, it is a bright spot and we are excited to hopefully share that story more because we're going to keep fighting and working on making the workplace safer for our employees. But at Mm -hmm. at the same time, we want them to understand what a huge impact that they can have on the lives of Americans every day. Uh, As you look at patient care, we've talked a little bit about telehealth, this idea of one of the threads running through the conference here on uh, health equity, making sure that good health initiatives gets to everybody. Talk about that just a minute because it's so important. 
If you don't have a device, you can't get telehealth. I mean, it's critically important. And it starts at the infrastructure level. We really need to have better broadband available in communities across Michigan. And you would think it would just be rural areas that don't have access like that. But it's really in urban areas as well. There mm -hmm. are parts of Detroit that don't have good broadband access. And so a patient can't you know, have a strong connection with their provider if they can't get online. So we are advocating for better broadband across Michigan to mm -hmm. make those connections possible. We're also, our members are very focused on providing solutions that are not simply internet based. They're providing things over the phone for somebody just, you know, mm. just to be able to make a phone call. Yeah. We really want to reach people wherever they are and whatever device works for them. Uh, and for some folks that are more technologically advanced than others, that's going to be different, you know. But, you know, now care is available for mental health services, for specialty services. If you live in a remote part of the state where yeah. you can't get to a specialist, you know, things like that. Um, so we are working from all angles to, to really create that continuous care path for folks where if they have a telehealth visit, it's not just a one off that that information is going to get to their primary care physician or or to the next specialist that they need to see to provide them with the best care possible. To make sure we're all equally healthy, any other initiatives MHA is involved in then to reach everybody? Absolutely. You know, health equity isn't just about, you know, broadband access. It's about racial equity, which yeah. is, you know, really, again, there's been a bright spot on that during the pandemic. And we're seeing how care is delivered differently or access to care is provided differently to people of different colors and races and communities. Uh, and it also reaches into the, you know, different age brackets. So we have, we're very committed to health equity across the board. Our hospitals have all pledged to end racism in healthcare. Uh, we're also focused on serving older Michiganders better. And that means providing care that is specifically tailored to aging residents um, so that focuses on their mental health capabilities, what matters to them and their families, mm -hmm. and providing that care and not just the care that we think is best. So again, it's it, it runs the gamut. And whether they're from birth to death, um, we want to provide equal access to care for everybody. And every ism that there is affects, um, you just mentioned <laughs> yes. ageism, right? And how that could mm -hmm. affect someone who's aging. We're all aging. It doesn't matter if you're 20 or 60 or 80. I wish I wasn't, but I it's true, Chuck. It's true. I look in the mirror every day. Uh, I know you didn't age true. from the last time we saw it, but that was only about nine months ago, right? Yeah, so. I won't compare the pictures we take um, from last time and today. Yeah. Well, it's good to see you, Ruth Ann Sutterth. It's, it's good to have to you here. here. And, and thanks for sharing a little bit of what's going on. Ruth Ann Sutterth is the Senior Vice President, Public Affairs and Communications for the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. Be well. Thanks. You too. And finally, CEO of the Michigan State Medical Society, Julie Novak. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good You're to be out in the world. Good start in the conference. Excellent. Yeah, good. it is good to be out in the world, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's been a long time. When the world is Mackinac Island and you can see lilacs and blue sky and horses and ribus fudge, I guess it makes life better. You can think about solving some big problems. <laughs> yeah. And mine was last night calling home and saying, do you really want fudge or not? And I was told, no, not this time. It's oh. okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. We've come through, we're coming through, right, this period of a pandemic and COVID-19. It has brought up to the surface during that time and still health disparities. And I know that's a big conversation here on the island, this increased focus on health equity and what that means. Talk about that, about being on the forefront now when you look across the state of Michigan. Yeah, well, I go back to a quote. I don't know who to attribute it to, but someone said years ago, the status quo is not a random event. And so everything that we've seen during the pandemic 
were things we knew existed and that yeah. we needed to deal with. It elevated the conversation a great deal. So health equity was a platform that we needed to address. And in fact, our national partner, the American Medical Association, made it a major focus in mid-2018, so a year and a half before the onset of mm -hmm. the pandemic, because it affects so many other health issues and uh, health risks. So as an organized medical society, we want to have impact on the state and work with other stakeholders to try to address these things because it definitely impacts health, but it's much bigger than health as well. And and this is real impact, right? I mean, sometimes we hear large organizations or societies, we, we hear that it sort of sounds like it's bigger than us and it, it doesn't affect me as a person. And yet we are seeing real trickle down to the person who's having an issue, a health issue, yeah. and things are changing, right? Yeah, with chronic disease, black Americans, Asian Americans, others were already at risk for chronic disease, mm -hmm. you know, poor outcomes. It depends on where you live, on what your access to care is, sure. and obviously insurance has a big role in it. But even beyond that, just when there is a pandemic and there are short resources and the system is overwhelmed, how do you prioritize and how do you make sure that people get what they need? And so that's been an opportunity to really think about it differently and to engage with partners that we might not have necessarily worked with in the past because it does affect transportation, housing, yeah. food security, all of those things get rolled into social determinants of health. And all of those things we need to work with other partners to try to find solutions to because that's where the real improvement in healthcare for all Michiganders comes from. And it's also apparent that in this time we've been coming through, the technology has mm -hmm. bubbled to the surface, yeah. right? We always knew of the availability and now it's like it's on steroids right. that we had to all get hip to using it, much less getting mental health professionals, doctors, nurses used to providing that information to us. Right. right. Yeah. Trial by fire. Yeah. Um, but now it is a tool and telehealth being, you know, one aspect of that yeah. that does help. It doesn't help in every circumstance and not every Michigan citizen has the same kind of access to broadband. Right. So again, issues that we wouldn't necessarily think are healthcare issues, they're shared by education, they're shared by, you know, government, all of those things are definitely an opportunity for us to make sure everybody has the same kind of access and to use telehealth in a way that we understand now as an addition to and a use for certain kinds of care mm -hmm. that can help with access issues. But it's not a solution by itself. It's a, an important component. But in the beginning of the pandemic, it was very rare. And now it's quite common and many patients that have used it find it to be very convenient for certain kinds of things and you know, kind of reduce that risk of you know, circulating in a, in a waiting room in an sure. office if you don't need yeah. to. A colleague of mine used to say the, the germiest thing he could think of was the little clipboard in the doctor's office that you filled out that health form every time. And now between EHR and also telehealth, you know, you can just use those things appropriately to keep people safe. You know, it's funny, during the pandemic, I saw one of those telehealth sessions, right? Mm -hmm. I was in the virtual waiting room and there was a little music mm -hmm. bed and then I could fill out the form. And so it was the new high tech way of doing what right. you're saying. Right. And it could, it worked at first. I yeah. thought, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. And I felt very comfortable using it. But that um, the idea of becoming equally healthy access that you mentioned is right. a key part of that, right? Not everybody right. has internet, not everybody has or can afford a device. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So there are issues far beyond, again, just the basic care yeah. that we talk about normally. As you look out, um, the impact that providers have had, there's been so much stress on mm -hmm. the system that yeah. I know you're well aware of, Yeah. but that the access that these providers have had in the past two years to make direct impacts, truly healthcare heroes emerging. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And they've been through quite the fire. I mean, a lot of 
people have. A lot of people were on the front lines in many different ways, but physicians were really at the nexus of, in the beginning of the pandemic, either you know, overwhelmed by what was going on in the hospitals mm -hmm. or standing down when we didn't have enough sure. masks for everybody and we were trying to keep people out of circulation and safe when we didn't really understand how COVID-19 was being spread. So you had physicians kind of in both positions. I can't give the care I know my patients are needing or I can't keep up with what's coming into the hospital. Yeah. And they were, you know, they were a little burnt out coming into this life. The pace of life for everyone has escalated so much in the last decade or so. And that definitely shows up in the medical community and in the entire medical team. Mm -hmm. And so how do we help them through that? That's a focus for us as the medical society is kind of helping them as whole people, not just as clinicians and caregivers. And again, the pandemic makes that that much more important. That's encouraging for me to hear because you're having to look at ways to take care of the people who take care of us. Right, exactly. Yeah. Who cares for the caregiver yeah. is the question I always ask myself, whether that's a doctor or the spouse of someone who's very ill. And these people have sacrificed a great deal and trained very hard for these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's definitely... They're human. They they take that cape off at night and they, they have to deal with all yeah. of that. And are you seeing different approaches that have emerged then? You've talked about a few of them, but if specifically as you're looking now toward opportunity in the near or even far future, what approaches are you seeing that where things have shifted, where you're seeing positive results and these things could stick and stay? Yeah, we have a task force on a, to advance health equity at MSMS. And the foundational things that we are working on is workforce diversity, because the more diverse a workforce is, the more it reflects and kind of attracts patients to feel like it's inclusive of them. Yeah. The cultural awareness is definitely an impact of COVID-19 that that we know we need to have, you know, sort of training and education on cultural awareness so that people can understand and factor that into their care decisions and how they address patients and, you know, language barriers and things like that. Social determinants of health, how can we impact that? Again, who do we mm -hmm. partner with? I'll give credit to Blue Cross, Patient-Centered Medical Home is a great foundation for a lot of the work that can be done, particularly in the primary care area. And that's the beginning of, you know, keeping people healthy, keeping people safe. So that gives us a platform to build upon. But there are other stakeholders that we want to work with as well. Transportation and, and housing and food are all yeah. vital. So who else do we reach out to and how can we partner with those people going forward? And then I guess the last piece is organizations that are transparent and equitable. Because when crisis hits and resources are scarce, you need to have protocols so that you know people have the same fair share, yeah. and same fair chance when there isn't enough workforce or the ERs and you know ICUs are overwhelmed. Uh, we've just never seen anything like it in our lives lifetimes, and it will be stories our grandchildren and great grandchildren ask about and and want to understand because it's truly going to create social shift in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and all good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good to have you with us. Great Ju to be here. Julie Thank Novak, you. who's the CEO of the Michigan State Medical Society. We hope that you're well and, and that you're able to use this conference as a way to gain some new partnerships as well. Absolutely. That's yeah. the goal. Great good to, to see you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to a Healthier Michigan podcast brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. You know, we regularly cover a variety of wellness topics featuring the advice and experience of many leading experts to help you lead a healthier life. If you like our show and you want to know more, check us out at a healthiermichigan.org slash podcast, or you can leave a review or rating on iTunes or Stitcher. To get new episodes, old episodes on your smartphone or tablet, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.